Welcome to the Weekly Beat by Mansa with your hosts Arnold Segawa, Maggie Mutesi, and Dumi Jere, giving you all the info on Africa's big finance and economic stories. The Weekly Beat by Mansa. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to this week's episode of The Weekly Beat. My name is Dumi Jere, and I'm coming to you from Johannesburg in South Africa. With me is my beautiful sister, Maggie Mutesi, coming to us from Dakar in Senegal. Maggie, how are you doing? It's a beautiful morning. It's getting a bit cold in Dakar, which is unusual, but it's a good sign. I also would like to think it's climate change because it's not usually like this. Ah, I like the fact that you mentioned climate change. I know, <laughs> I know, but it's been very hot the past few weeks. So uh, when it drops to this, uh, there's a bit of a worry, like what happened mm. really? But mm. we move regardless. How is Joburg? Joburg is all right. As uh, we are speaking, South Africa is gearing to go to the elections with the ruling party uh. seeking to get an extension on their mandate to govern the local municipalities and all of that. So we'll see mm. how that goes. Uh, interesting times ahead. But uh, but coming back to what you said earlier on around uh, climate change, that's the topic that we're focusing on this week, folks. I always say this, it's a topic that is very close to my heart. Because when we really look at it, I'm from Malawi originally, and um, Malawi is one of the countries in the continent where either you have drought because there's no rain, or there's too much rain and you end up with floods. In East Africa alone, for example, climate change is uh, said to possibly going to uproot tens of millions of people within the next 30 years because there are extreme weather events, particularly in Kenya, Rwanda, Tanzania, Uganda, as well as Burundi. Extreme weather events, droughts, floods. Now, this threatens wildlife as well in the region, the lower rainfall, the associated river levels that's also disrupting migration pattern patterns of um, animals such as wildebeest yeah the ripple effect is too much for us mm. as humans like you're saying maggie one week is very 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 hot temperatures in very hot, you know lower 30s and next week it's cold it's just so mm. much fluctuation so climate change really is affecting all of us all and for those wondering why we are talking about uh, all of these things and climate change that's because uh, climate change affects all of us folks and uh, it's something that we all need to take very very seriously and really do our bit in making sure that uh, we take care of the earth so another reason why we're talking about climate change is because world leaders are gathered in glasgow this week for the un climate change conference otherwise known as cop 26. Now, they will gather around and find solutions on how best to fight uh, the, 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 the battle against climate change. Now, Maggie, uh, Africa, we are probably one of the hardest hit continents uh, with climate change. From here, our, as our leaders are in uh, Glasgow, what mm. should Africa's message be around COP26? Where are we going? What are we trying to achieve? What are we fighting? Uh, where does this leave us? What's your take on that? I think to me, you've, you've summarized it in a very uh, good way at the beginning. And it's important to also note that our contribution to emissions is less than 5% as a continent, but we are facing the mm. wrath of uh, what the rest of the world is doing to the environment, which is why we're having this conversation. 
from where I'm sitting in uh, Senegal or these West African countries, the impact is starting to being felt. And the World Bank recently released a report uh, about climate migration, I think which said about 86 million Africans will be forced to migrate within their own countries by 2050. And just here in Senegal, mm. they're estimating about 32 million people to oh. migrate within their own countries. You know, we've seen people migrate from rural areas to urban for opportunities or out of their countries, but this is them yeah. being forced to leave their villages mm. because of floods, because of, you know, the effects of climate change. So it is a very critical conversation. It's a very... Um, timely moment uh, to rethink, especially strategies when it comes to mitigating these effects. Because also, let's not forget, Dumi, the continent depends mostly on farming. We are nomads. We are farmers. This is what Africa is. Like you've mentioned, it's not just the lives, but it's the livelihoods. And all these effects, I think, one of the things the leaders have to address, and I keep saying this because we don't talk about it as much. Rarely do you see, for example, a lot of funding. It's just now that it started, you know, to be discussed, but a lot of money put aside to mitigate climate change or, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen a country's budget in Africa that has included a fraction of money that could be put aside uh, to actually mitigate climate change and its effect. Mm, I like something that you mentioned around the funding. Yeah. Uh, one sad thing, but that is a, a big reality, is that when we look at all these developed countries, US, yes. Europe, and all of those countries, mm. they built those economies using the developing countries. True. Yeah. So they extracted a lot of things, a lot of minerals, all of those things. Like they used the developing countries to build their own economies. And they, that's mm. how they catapulted and managed to graduate to developed countries. Now, mm. in an effort to make up for that, call it a, I don't want to use the word atrocity. They mm. then promised that we are going to fund your needs for climate change and we'll make up for mm. the missed years of development that led to them being developed and us still being developing countries. Now, those promises have not been kept. And mm. uh, that's one of the things that the developing countries, particularly in Africa, have been fighting for to say, you folks promised us financing and funding so that we can also meet our targets. But that money has not been mm. forthcoming. And on our side, it's also a tricky one because we were in a position of heavy reliance uh, on these finance mechanisms so that we could realize uh, more ambition. Mm. While it sort of made sense to rely on other people for finance, it then left our countries at the mercy of these lending countries or the lending conditions. Mm. And the ripple effect of that is many of those lending conditions were then so strict that they ended up almost jeopardizing the future of uh, youth generations. So it's a lot of conversations that need to be had, particularly around the financing side of things. Because yes, it's one thing for us to talk about green energy. True. We need to adjust to clean mining, but financing mm. plays an important role in ensuring that, you know, all of these things are met and that, you know, the developing countries, we are able to meet our mitigation and adaptation goals, particularly in line with the updated terms and conditions that they're discussing at mm. COP26. What can Africa do? Is there anything else that we can do to sort of maybe meet these things on our own without necessarily having to wait 
for the funding that may not come or if it comes it has so many terms and conditions that it's not favorable anymore i think we need to deliberately go away from our conversations and uh, make commitment in terms of uh, funding in terms of national budgets in terms of uh, streamlining our agenda as a continent towards clean energy and a, a green africa and you know there's something that confuses me though and i'm glad we're having this conversation to me of course when it comes to all these effects, we have seen what has happened in the past. Uh, uh, in 2019, when we had, how did they call it, the one in Malawi and Zimbabwe? Cyclone Idai. Yeah, it uh, displaced over 2 million farmers, I think, in, in, in the region. I mean, there were figures that we kept on seeing that um, were, were just alarming. And I remember one of the questions was, uh, okay, how do we recover from this or how were the farmers actually taken care of? But we never continued that conversation. So you can imagine whoever got affected in that, it ended there probably. I don't know if the countries were able to rebuild, but there were commitments also made, but to what extent? And then it brings us to, um, as you mentioned, that, you know, a lot of these developed countries have, have been developed at the backbone, you know, of our resources and all these things from least developed countries like in Africa. But yeah. let's not forget, Dumi, we are also such a blessed and rich continent. When we talk about clean energy, and I could be wrong, but when we talk about clean energy and all of this, so, you know, uh, moving to wind or moving to solar, we have an advantage here in terms of our weather. Not to sound like I'm not putting much thinking into it, but I had a conversation with uh, one professor who said to me, look, the conversations of going into clean energy, I think our conversations, Africa could have a leverage on if they were deliberately committed to it. It's the matter of investment in some of these areas. So he feels that we are not deliberate. Yes, it's much more of we need help instead of what actions can we take. Ah, okay, okay, okay. I see where he's coming from. In some respects, he could be correct because, for example, when I look at uh, South Africa yes, and you look at the national electricity uh, provider, ESCOM, in order for them to transition, because currently they are using most of the electricity is generated from coal plants. Now, mm. in an effort to move to clean energy, there is now need for mm. investment in uh, new low carbon generation capacities. And mm. I wouldn't exactly say they are not deliberate. I mean, they are trying to mm. put in a lot more effort in uh, changing and switching to low carbon generation. But mm. again, it then comes back to funding. It also then comes mm. back uh, and not just necessarily funding from the countries, because in this particular case, we're talking about funding from the banks. So the public banks, even the other banks, they are also now saying, well, we don't want to fund these kind of projects anymore. So it's becoming murkier and murkier, I guess. But um, I guess that is needed. That is action. That is going to push everyone on the right side, I guess. Um, while the emphasis is, is, is on transition, uh, we also got to understand mm. that as Africa, we've got lots of legacy issues from mm. you know, the countries that we inherited. So moving to different kinds of uh, lower carbon economies is not a walk in the park. So um, all of mm. that uh, having been said, personally, I am uh, looking forward to what positions the various African countries are taking and what is the united message that they are sending. Because, I mean, when I look at it, let's just look at the conversations that we're having now. Malawi mm. will probably worry about uh, food security because there's drought or there's floods. While South Africa, because of this rolling load shedding, 
is probably worried about new ways of generating electricity and energy and clean energy and all of that. These are two countries that are mm. close to each other, but they have different agendas. Now, how do you then mm. unite that one message and make it one and uh, deliver something that is more impactful as a united continent? So I'm mm. looking forward specifically to how we communicate the message and what message more specifically we're going to communicate to the UN and the rest of the world and make sure that mm. really we hold them accountable to the funding promises that they made. Now, in closing, is there anything that you are looking forward to um, out of these yeah. meetings? I'm going to reiterate what I said earlier, Dumi. I mean, the wealthy countries are focusing on cutting carbon emissions. For them, they have a mission. For the African continent, we are yeah. not in charge of this problem, but we're vulnerable. And all we're looking yeah. for, actually, and I think what the countries are saying is that we need funding. We need yes. the promise of 100 billion per year that was yes. made to the continent because yes. this problem is around and it wasn't created by us, but we are facing the wrath of it more than the rest of the world. Yes. And I think it brings us to a lot of things that uh, we need to also put into context, in, especially when it comes to development on the continent and uh, how you know everybody says we need to go green and rethink our energy systems or reduce fossil fuel emissions, what, what, and all of that. Mm. We still depend so much on these. Our economies are... Based on this, look at Nigeria, uh, look at Angola, look at some of the richest um, countries in Africa. I mean, mm. we are still dependent of, on this and we, we're saying we need to create jobs, but we must also ensure that we have energy for all. We need to provide, we need, you, you've mentioned electricity. I mean, we have a whole, you know, hundreds of millions of people until now with no access to energy. All these mm. things, when you put them into context, I think our priorities are different with the rest of the world. Yeah. This is how I look at it. So yeah. we need so much funding. But more specifically, yeah. I think we need to rethink the whole idea of, as a continent, what do we want? Even if we, we're demanding for that commitment or the financing in the sector, uh, yeah. I think the question also comes back to, we need to fight for our people. We need to ensure energy for all our people. And we need to be able to still mitigate the climate change effects while also developing our nations. So to really give it back to you as you close, Dumi, it all comes back to financing for Africa. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, folks, the Paris Agreement, uh, all of these talks, they started in 2015, what is now famously known as the Paris Agreement. And mm. essentially, in that agreement, they agreed that there would be mitigation, there would be adaptation, and there will be a way, a means of implementing climate action when it comes to change. So the Glasgow outcome should really be a package deal that advances the negotiations of all of those three aspects of that Paris Agreement. All African countries stand ready to play constructive roles so that there is a success in these negotiations. And I just hope all the other countries, they also come to the party and meet the African countries halfway so that we can uh, finally make a change when it comes to climate. In any case, I don't understand why we have Paris Agreement. Now we will have a Glasgow Agreement. Why do these conferences always happen in Europe? But then again, there was one conference in Durban. The COP17 was in Durban. So I have a my words. <laughs> but on that note, folks, uh, thank you for listening to this episode. 
Thank you, Maggie. I really, really appreciate you uh, participating and, uh, you know, having this uh, lively discussion on a topic that I'm very passionate about. Uh, so thank you uh, for that. The team behind the scenes and of course to you, the loyal listeners, really, really appreciate. Remember to visit our website, mansamedia.africa for more news about the continent. If in case you missed anything or follow our social media pages, Mansa Media Africa on Facebook and Mansa underscore media on Twitter. Please follow our podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Amazon Music so that you're notified whenever a new episode goes live. I am Dumi Jere. Until the next time, here's to peace and profits. The Weekly Beat by Mansa with your hosts, Arnold Segawa, Maggie Mutesi, and Dumi Jerry, giving you all the info on Africa's big finance and economic stories. The Weekly Beat by Mansa.